Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 134. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. In the casino this week, we are back on the roulette wheel to play Disney Plus Roulette. And thank you to our very loyal listener, Ashley. She gave us some numbers. And this month, the roulette wheel landed on 2011's Teen Spirit. Now, just based on the thumbnail my initial reaction is damn it patrice (laughs) but i don't want you to think that i did not give this film a very fair shake and perhaps i was pleasantly surprised you're gonna have to hang around to listen had you ever heard of this film before no and i don't even recall ever seeing this thumbnail when you know as we're scrolling through so, no, just I because wonder... it falls to the bottom like i don't yeah. know this might be our our like deepest dive into the roulette except for the time that 20,000 leagues sent us all the way through the list <laughs> and, then, and then back around well, to no, the top. Here, so here's the thing i wonder because this was a film that disney made but it was for abc family right so i wonder if it was not a launch day title admittedly i didn't care enough to go and investigate that i'm wondering if it had to make its way through the other streaming services first before it came to Disney Plus because you're right. I I mean, there are certain things that we have come across a thousand times that I know have been there since the beginning, but I don't recall this one being there. No, and especially because it's not like a movie that was made for ABC Family like Model Behavior. That was Justin Timberlake's acting debut at like peak in sync time. It was the first thing he had really done since Mickey Mouse Club. And that was everywhere. But I mean, you got Justin Timberlake at like 19, 20 years old to do a movie. Come on. You didn't really need to promote it all that hard. So this one, it's kind of no wonder if it had just aired once on ABC Family. Like if you didn't DVR it, you're never going to see or hear of it again. But it still counts. It was made for ABC as a Disney movie. I consider this more a Disney movie than I do the first Iron Man at this point. Even though it is a property, Disney didn't make that one. Correct. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. Here we go with the shortest plot ever. The most popular girl in school, Amber, has been voted prom queen. As she goes to accept her crown, she is electrocuted and ends up in purgatory. Do I have your attention now? Technically, she is destined for hell, but Amber is given one more chance to turn it all around if she can complete an assignment to turn the least popular girl in school into the prom queen. Yes, have we heard this before? Amber takes Lisa, the artistic Juilliard-bound invisible girl, and trains her on how to dress, throw a party, and talk to boys. Lisa throws her life away and steps on everyone she cares about in the process of out-ambering Amber, and Amber realizes that she can't let Lisa win prom queen, even if it means going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just for a second, just for a second. I 
wasn't di- done. No, I know you're not done. Just for a second, I want people to digest what you just said. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at the movie. And I, listen, I don't want people to think we're about to trash this movie for an hour. I think a lot of you are going to be really surprised with the things that we have to say. But I used to sit there and think to myself, like, can it get much darker than Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, where you go to hell in Disneyland? And just hearing you describe that, please continue the plot. <laughs> I just, I couldn't help myself. No, you were really trying to hold that in. I didn't even see you laughing. You just, like, came out with that. Um, so, anyway, I mean... Th- you can probably guess at this point that Amber desperately tries to make Lisa miss the prom. She drives her out to the middle of nowhere and Lisa's real friends come to her rescue. They make it to prom in time and Lisa gives this epic speech that destroys the popular vote and she hands the crown over to her friend Raj, the nice guy who has been in her corner all along. And then Amber becomes an angel. So there is one thing that I want to get out of the way first. Yeah, sure. And that's the comparable movies. Because as I said, if this plot sounds familiar, it's because we've seen it a million times. I've got three. You can argue that this is Pretty Woman, later retold as Princess Diaries. Uh, Probably the closest one is She's All That. And it also pulls from Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You. All of which are loosely based on Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. So... Needless to say, this story has been told and retold a million times. So it's so funny that you mention She's All That because I was thinking to myself, all right, so this was 2011. Had this been like 1997 and Disney was in their their, uh, struggle breaking in with teens, if they had done this as a major release, this would have been Rachel Lee Cook, right? I mean, we know that if this had been... The, the late 90s. Well, not necessarily because she did do She's All That. If Disney got to it first, totally. All right. So- and I lo- I mean, just tread lightly because She's All That. I am a 90s baby. That was my jam. Was Freddie that- Prinze Jr., Paul Walker, in all their glory. Is that the, um, that was the film that had the Sixpence None the Richer song, Kiss Me. Yes. Okay. And that was the bet that they not only had to turn her into prom queen, but they also had to sleep with her. Right. So that's where that one gets dark. I had three completely different movies. Oh, what were they? Mean Girls, Beetlejuice, and My Boyfriend's Back. Wait, what? The being in limbo thing and only being able to really interact with one person while trying to sabotage other people to get what you want. Oh, snap. That's good. And then I think I'm one of like seven people that have seen my boyfriend's back from like 1992. I've never seen that. But yes, Mean Girls is another one. But I think the difference, and I'm glad you brought that one up, is that Mean Girls and this film, to its credit, started to break that mold by really shaking up that high school hierarchy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they set you up with all of the tropes out of the gate in this one but i think they do a good job of putting their own twist on it i think so i think that from the jump the only thing that really does date the movie is the music um for sure now i'm not just talking about the pop songs that you know i'm talking about the song that opens the film it sounds 
like honestly, it yes, it feels like 2011 pop music that you'd hear on a top 40 say, a station, but I would go so far as to say that I kind of felt like even then, and this isn't uncommon for especially for Disney in a made-for-TV movie, where a pop song from 2011 sounds like a pop song from, like, 2001. <laughs> so I felt like it it kind of even felt a little older than that. I think that is also sadly part of the aging process, where movies that, or or songs, rather, that came out, you know, that were after your formative years, it does really sound like it's all lumped together because I think anything that came out past 2000 is total garbage. Oh, you think I'm showing my age now? I'm not saying you. I'm saying, like, this Uh, is my personal experience, too. I'm not calling you old. No, no, no. I am. But I'm saying (laughs) we've exceeded that because half the people who have made it this far don't know who Sixpence None the Richer are. (laughs) No, no. That song was actually recently covered. And it became, I think, like a TikTok thing. So people very well may know who Sixpence None the Richer is. Either that or or they, I think they might have tried to breathe life into their own song again and remix it. I don't know. But I I heard They have two. I heard it recently and and it was was remixed. Um, What's more jarring for me than anything else about that, that dated song right out of the gate is that there is a narrator who we later find out is Tim Gunn, and that's who Amber is reporting to when she's in limbo purgatory, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think we need a narrator to break this down, how it works that Amber's popular and Lisa's not, and they never interact ever. And it's interesting that you brought up Mean Girls because we have Katie the main character, Lindsay Lohan, yeah. narrating the whole thing. But again, that's where the twist on it is kind of different with Mean Girls because she's very objective because she's had a completely different experience growing up. And to her, seeing it through her eyes and her comparing it to the African jungle, that's hilarious. That's a different twist. Here, I don't think it works at all, even though it is Tim Gunn and he's fantastic. I disagree because I feel like... If you don't do that right away, upon first viewing, when the four of them come out and they get into the red convertible, the first thing I think to myself or thought to myself was, oh, geez, this is exactly what I thought this was going to be. And Disney is just trying to rip off Mean Girls. But when you get Tim Gunn with the narrative, I'm like, no, no, this is a tongue in cheek. It's a straight comedy. And it's almost picking fun at itself out of the gate. And I kind of felt that you did need that to separate yourself from those other movies, specifically Mean Girls. I'll give you that because he's very dry. So if you're setting up the satire, okay, fine. But when they get to the the pedicure scene mm-hmm. and he's still narrating that this girl's path never crossed with Lisa, then I was kind of like, ugh. And then I thought it was going to be every stereotype that we thought. But really, I mean, from there, it kind of does take off in a different direction. Um, Here's what I find a little bit hard to buy. Um, It may have worked for the time, but I feel like with YouTube and TikTok now, these film kids would not be unpopular. Like they're making this series. It's a stop motion animation of a farm. 
it's actually really cool. I mean, that may just be me because this was me in high school. I would have found this totally cool. But it seems like they're having success with the show that they're making. And I feel like now, especially with TikTok, if you have any kind of notoriety, you're going to be popular in school. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I have this in my notes as well, that they're producing these high-quality viral videos. Now, for 2011, that is somewhat ahead of its time. You, but 2011, it yeah. would be the cat that fell down or somebody would slip and fall down a staircase. For a long time, YouTube was a mix of sports highlights that you loved, cat music videos. videos, and America's Funniest Home Videos. That's basically what YouTube was in its very beginning. Before now, it became very how-to. And very polished. Yeah. Right, okay, so now YouTube has become very polished. It's become something more than just people making videos on a Sony Handycam and it's it's not so niche anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I would argue that it's more niche because I feel like there's something for everybody to find now. But I'm saying so many people are doing it now and they've made it much to your dismay, I think, in many ways. They've made it so approachable and they've made it so much easier that anybody can do it. And I mean, just think about the camera on your phone, the, the quality of the iPhone camera, the Android camera. You anybody can do this, and, and that's what I'm saying. I feel like in its inception, th- like it was these kind of kids that had your above average know how, where they were just completely obsessed, and this is what they wanted to do. It was those type of people that could create content for YouTube. Now everybody can do it, so I think it's less niche in terms of content creators. Yes, perhaps in content itself, you're right. But I think that what this does is it serves better for saying these kids are way too smart for their own good in 2011. And yes, nowadays they would be popular, but I can tell you from somebody that took film classes in high school, albeit in the early 2000s, we were very niche and nobody really cared about any of us. We were not unpopular, but nobody cared that we made movies. Right. I guess that's it. What they're making is like Charlie and the Unicorn of its time. Yeah. You had to have the know-how. It went viral. Everybody knew what viral was, but it sort of seems, I don't want to say less special, but it's, it's less unique now because of the content creation. Right, and when you have Nick, who's one of the popular kids, that says, oh, you guys make the pig videos. I think they're hysterical. Right. That's where I think I will agree with you, where they should be more popular in high school than they are. Because when the popular group or the popular kids like your content, by extension, because the characters in here, they're archetypes of every high school movie you've ever seen, whether it's Can't Hardly Wait or Ten Things or or Mean Girl, any, anything that we've mentioned. Heathers. You, mean, you can even go back to Heathers. You can even go back to Grease. The archetypes Ugh. of high school popularity. That still exists here. But because they are all so vain and so over the top, you would think that they want to leech on to somebody else's success because through extension, if this person's successful, I'm successful and I'm just widening my circle. Exactly. So I agree with you there. If there's a flaw with the fact that they are not popular, that's where it is. And for me personally, it it stems from that line from Nick saying how he watches the videos and he thinks that they're great. Right. 
Where I also think that this film sort of does something different is that we do get to see the other side of Amber, where in Mean Girls, they go home, I'm the cool mom, and Amy Poehler's offering them drinks, right? which is hysterical. It's one of the, you know, funniest parts of that movie. But we're not here to talk about Mean Girls. Anyway, uh, we sort of get a peek behind the curtain into Amber's life. And of course, that is sort of a stereotype because they are trying to show us that there's more to the popular girl than meets the eye and that she's got her own problems and not everybody's so perfect. But I thought it was so interesting that they made her so desperate for her mother's approval. And I don't know if her mother is a single parent. They've only established that she works for... I, I think she is because they never show the dad. No. And you you would because obviously, spoiler alert, Amber dies. Right. So you would see the parents grieving. So we're led to believe that the mom, she's a single parent. She's hustling. She's clearly overworked and very dedicated to her job to create this life for her girls. And in the process, she's sort of ignoring them. And here... You know, it kind of does give a little bit of levity to Amber being so popular because she doesn't have the attention at home. So she wants it in all the wrong places at school from this gaggle of friends that she quote unquote friends. They're really just like her muscle and they yeah, walk hangers behind on. her. Yeah, exactly. Or from boys. Right. Now, I, I actually really like that they did this because I think that you pointed out Amy Poehler in Mean Girls, which... I don't want to keep bringing it up either, but I think it is like the closest comparison because it was the one that was made closest to this film of all of the films that we mentioned. Or even like, let's even go back to Clueless, okay? These are parents blindly spoiling their children. Yes. In this case, that's not what's happening at all. Right. I thought that it was a great way to develop Amber and soften her and make her likable because that's the thing you've got to want to root for her to not go to hell there's i mean thinking back to my days in high school there were 10 ambers and if any of them went to hell today i'd be like well yeah naturally it's okay great so if you're trying to make this person a protagonist you have to make her somewhat likable so i love the fact that they where this movie does take a turn and it's not the same from all those other movies is that they they go this way and they made her so much different and it it's it's that she really is doing all of this because we also learn that this is this is how her mother was in high school so because there's no dad in the picture there's only that maternal figure so you could see that that's the role model so she's trying so hard like it it adds a lot of depth to a character that should be completely one-dimensional. Right, because with this archetype, you never really see them as eager to please. And it's placed perfectly um, because it softens her, but leading up to her death, getting the crown, she still is very mean when she's at school, so you're not necessarily rooting for her just yet. In fact, when she does go get the crown... You're, I was still kind of like, eh. So she's yeah. gone. Um, the other odd thing that I think it does that sort of takes it in an unexpected direction is that I'm also not completely invested in Lisa yet. They softened Amber. They made her likable for a hot second. So now Lisa's about to go into the prom. 
she's wearing her mother's hand-me-downs, but she's sitting in the car typing up her college uh, application to Juilliard. Mm -hmm. And what she says is that she doesn't have a life. And she's clearly trying to get accepted into the school where she thinks that she's going to fit in. This is where I don't necessarily identify with her. And I should because I was that film girl in high school. But to me, her motivation would be that she wants to get into Juilliard to get out of the place where she doesn't feel she fits in. And instead, it's just I want to get into Juilliard because I want to have a life. You would think you'd be so busy having a life outside of school. Like, let's compare it to She's All That. In that film... Lainey Boggs was an artist, like a really good artist. She lost her mother at a young age and she was doing all of these really uh, offbeat, unique activities after school. It was painting. It was, um, I can't remember what the show was where eventually Freddie Prince Jr. does the hacky sack. Was it like a beat poetry thing or was it just a talent show? I've never seen it. Wait, you've never seen... Oh, my God. All right, we're going to write this wrong tonight. I'm going to find it. No, it's cute. I mean, you've seen the story a million times, but it's I, I remember the cute. trailer. And the cast is like all the 90s goodness. I remember... What I remember about that movie is I saw the trailer nonstop on television, and you heard... Sixpence None the Richer, and she came out, and I think there were like Edison bulbs or something, or oh, yeah. like uh, like pixie lights in the trees, yeah. and like she came walking out, and Freddie Prinze was like standing on top of a deck looking like Freddie Prinze did in the 90s, <laughs> and it was majestic, and the trailer ended, and I, and I thought to myself, I've seen the whole film. And I probably have. So I've, yeah, I'm. You're not wrong. I'll, I'll, but I'll sit and watch it. If you can find it tonight, I will sit and watch it. Not where I thought my evening was going, but I, <laughs> sure, I'll sit and watch it. Well, anyway, um, the point is that Lainey, basically, school was just something that she did. And she just had to make it through the day and then she could go off and do whatever she wanted. But she filled her day with so many other activities after school and she worked here. It's just like Lisa's like, I need a life. But if you really are this artsy person, I would have to imagine that you're doing everything you can in your spare time to get out of your situation. And that's where she falls flat to me. That is my long winded way of saying that I'm just not in yet. I think it's open for your own interpretation because I, re- I I could relate to Lisa more than you could because when I, and I'll be honest, you know, when I was in high school, I was not, I, I fell in the middle, right? I was not unpopular, but I was not popular. I fell in the middle. I did everything offbeat, but I was not an unapproachable person. I I didn't scare you, <laughs> but I also wasn't the starting cornerback on the. You know, I played I played golf in high school, and I did the film classes, and I went to a lot of Islander games, and I went to a lot of Yankee games, and I didn't give a crap what other people thought about me, and I wanted to work in radio, so that was a really weird thing, and a lot of people could not quite understand why, and because I was sort of just like eh, take me or leave me, I guess I didn't fit the mold of what you thought a radio person would be 20 years later boy were you wrong (laughs) um (laughs) but I went and applied for college I went to Florida because I hate winter number one but number two 
I came from that small town, and I said, I, I want to go and hit a reset button, and I want to go somewhere and be nobody and kind of do my own thing. So I 100% are on board with her. But where it doesn't make sense is you are sitting in your car on prom night applying to Juilliard. You, you're this musical prodigy. Juilliard should have been the first school that you applied to as a junior, not in June or May, depending on where you are. Right. When you're going to enroll in school the following August, that did not make any sense for me. And because she is, she's a goody-goody. She doesn't sneak out. She doesn't lie to her parents. She cares about her schoolwork. She would have been on top of this far earlier than like the last, like really when you're applying for colleges in June, you're kind of hoping that you get in on a late admission. Right. And that's, you're, you're absolutely right. That's where there's a disconnect too, because even if you're the type that feels like you don't fit in and you don't want to go to prom at that point, being that your college acceptance letter is in, you've been accepted, you know where you're going. Even the most antisocial person in high school is like, eh, you know what? I'll go. Let me, I've worked really hard. I got accepted to college. Let me kick my heels up for the night and and go have a good night with my friends. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as I said, even if you don't necessarily want to go to prom and you think it's lame, you kind of just do and you have the night out with your friends. Yeah. Where I do believe this film, finally, we have a good, believable prom set. It's not too advanced for high school. It looks very much lit up and over the top. But and I think part of this comes from we do get to see it in the lights the next day. It really is just like paper mache and some iridescent material and when you uplight it, it looks like it really pops. But I believe that high schoolers put this together. Well done, Team Spirit. Yeah, so it does look like high schoolers put it together. Now, perhaps this is just a, this maybe is just a Northeast thing. I don't know. So I'm actually, because I have a couple of questions here, and I'm interested in hearing from you personally, but also you, the listener. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Email monorealradio at gmail.com. I'm interested in knowing a few things. First, here on Long Island, at least, I never knew anybody that had a prom in their own gym. You always went to a catering hall. We did junior prom in our gym. Right. We didn't have a junior prom at our high school, but anybody I know that had any sort of prom in a gym was a junior prom. Everywhere else you went somewhere for it. Right. We did not have a prom king or prom queen in 2005. Did you guys have a prom king or queen? I feel like that's sort of a passe thing, but I think it was a passe thing 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, we did. We had it for homecoming. homecoming. Same, but that was also more based on academia and community service. It certainly wasn't a popular vote. Oh, no, ours was a popular vote. I mean, <laughs> it it was, but what got you into the homecoming court, there were like four girls and four boys, and that had to be based on your academics, based on the clubs you were in. And then once you got in there, it was the popular vote. But there was a little bit more to it than just this, you know, especially the way that they rigged the entry ballots, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. In our school, it was it was student-nominated 
and student voted on. So it was 100% the popular vote, ah. which is a very Long Island thing to do. That's no surprise. Um, but I'm interested in knowing from you guys, let us know if you had a king or queen, was there a vote? Did you have it at a catering hall? Or maybe this is somewhere where most of the country, they do do it in the gym and there's no limousines. Like I'm used to, you roll up with 10 people in a limo. And, and now we really sound like we're from Long Island. No, 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 no. But because these people, because these kids are so vain, I mean, yeah, they're rolling up in their father's Mercedes convertible. So, okay, it makes that makes sense. But you would think that they'd want to roll up in the, uh, all right, now I'm going to date myself, the Hummer or the Escalade. Oh, no. We had a Hummer limo because that was the thing in oh. 2005. And I had to reserve no, it. No, we had like a classy black limo. Thank you to, very much. I had to reserve it 14 months <gasps> in advance. Because you had a Hummer, because that's what everyone it. did. Congratulations, Sean. You are a stereotype. I never thought that about you because I, you know, I didn't know you in high school, but I know what your experience was, and you never did anything stereotypical until right now. So you would think that that would be a thing, but perhaps because this town is, you know, a little bit more of your. It's Springfield. It's Main Street, you know, USA. You don't really know where it is. Right. The only sense that we get is Amber's home, which is on the water. I mean, I at first I thought it was maybe Malibu, but then when she drops Lisa in the middle of nowhere, I was like, are you in Florida or the Carolinas? So they filmed it in North Carolina. Oh, I'm good. I thought maybe Florida because the guy was selling the gator jerky. But I, but I am like, that this was could kind of go either way. Yeah, that was the only tell that it could be Florida. But just on the aesthetic and when this came out, I I was leaning towards North Carolina because that's where they filmed Dawson's Creek. Right. And clearly some of the language in this film tries to pull from Dawson's Creek. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a, in a little while here. Yes. This is a great death scene. By the way, I just want to throw this out there. Her body is smoking. It's awesome. And I don't mean that in like, wow, they picked a really hot actress. I mean like her body, body is, is smoking, singed. Literally singed in front of the whole school. Because when her date backs his daddy's Mercedes into an electric box outside, it shorts everything out. And it shorts out the wire that is lying next to the table that has her tiara and when she goes to grab it she gets electrocuted and dies see and this is where it flips back on amber because we did see that moment with her but she is so desperate for her crown i love even though she's warned she does it anyway and it's like you know what you learn your lesson now you just died over this selfish death is so good because in a way it's this is i don't want it to sound insensitive it's like self-inflicted. Yes. Because you have been warned and you literally say something to the effect of, get out of my way, this is my time. Yeah, or nothing's going to stop me. It was one of those cliched lines and she paid for it. And immediately she is standing there and nobody can see her and she's staring out over her dead body. And you hear screaming, but nobody really seems to care. At right. the same time. It's not like, oh my God, Amber's dead. It's, I just watched somebody get electrocuted at prom. You're more freaked out over the body than any sort of attachment you had to who it is. Right. 
So now we go to Limbo, which is a a salon with endless empty chairs. And she thinks she's in heaven. And in enter James or uh, Tim Gunn. James Gunn would have been really interesting. <laughs> em- enter Tim Gunn. He is spectacular. I love this limbo too. I love when he does. Ca- I mean, do you call this a cameo? Not really, because he is playing the part of like an angel supervisor. But I feel like anything that he gets cast in. He's playing some version of himself, right? Like my favorite one was How I Met Your Mother in the Suits episode. The 100th yes. episode, He he's Barney's tailor. I thought that was perfect, but I love him in this role too. Yeah, he's really funny. And I do like where the storyline takes off a little bit more from here. Yeah, it's cliched. We've seen it. Get the, you know, turn the ugly duckling into the swan. Okay, we've seen it. And then she hurts everyone she cares about. I mean, I was able to pretty much sum up act two in about two sentences with what happens to her. I mean, you kind of know. Here's what I really like about this, though, where this movie, again, flips itself on its head and it's so different from the rest of them. This is not, hey, you're sort of between death and life do this for this person and we'll send you back and give you another chance. Right. This is... It's... You're done. This is like all dogs go to heaven. I didn't even think <gasps> about that. Ugh. But it's it's the, you're in limbo and we're going to... You have to do something nice for somebody else because there's no coming back for you. Your eternity is on the line. There is no second chance for you. So it's either you go to heaven or you go to hell. And while I laughed over that statement as you read it out loud, because it is funny to hear out loud, I really do love that this is where it is so much different from so many of these other films. Especially because Tim Gunn pretty much tells her she is going to hell. This is her last chance to turn it around. It's not determining your placement. It's kind of like you're done for. You need to accept your fate. But we'll give you this one more chance. Right. Now it's around here that I made my mo- my note that the language is not at all suitable for the Disney Channel. So, it's it's a Disney made made for TV movie, so you'd want to call it a decom, but it's not. But that's okay. Because I think that what they do here is they made a movie that better suited their target demographic. And I think they picked the right network to put it on. Because if you think about it, things like Pretty Little Liars, like these are all things that are on ABC Family. That is more of your teen, like tween to teen. Right, whereas Disney Channel's adolescent to tween, this network ABC Family, now it's Freeform, um, that's where you get this programming, and I thought that that was a really smart way to go about it. While you probably didn't get as much exposure as you'd get on the Disney Channel, you could make the movie you actually wanted to make by shifting focus and going to a different network. I will... 
I will give you that one, but I do think that lines like vacuous shrew are totally wasted in this film. Follow me down this timeline, if you will. The first movie to sort of do this was Clueless, but it was very much tongue-in-cheek because they were all trying to appear older, smarter than they actually were, and Cher would constantly mispronounce all of these bigger vocabulary words, or Ty would say something and it sounded completely out of context. Um, And that's what makes that movie funny. And I don't think that anybody ever has or ever will is going to do it better than Amy Heckerling. She is the master when it comes to these teen comedies. Um, Then later we see it again with Dawson's Creek. And that was just annoying because then everybody started trying to talk like those characters and didn't know what half of those words meant. And I feel like that sort of became the, the, uh, the bar that was set for high school. Um, then actually, wait, no, was 10 things I hate about you before that might've been during Dawson's Creek or like near the tail end of it. Yeah. But to me, they kind of ran around the same time. 10 things I hate about you was the only other one that like successfully got it where I believed that the character, it wasn't done in a tongue in cheek way, like clueless. I believed that these characters actually knew what they were talking about. And part of that was because Kat was supposed to be smarter than everyone else. And she wanted, I think to be a writer. So I'll believe that from her. And that was also the most closely based on taming of the shirt. Like that was an adaptation actually. So you kind of have to have the big language and then thinking about it a little bit later on, Gilmore Girls does the same thing, but I believe Rory's saying that because she's a big reader. So here, Lisa has sort of done nothing to prove where she, like she doesn't have the chops to back up a phrase like that. And I don't think anyone does in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's great writing, but I think it's wasted on these characters is what I'm trying to say. I by these characters saying these things. I think the dialogue throughout this movie is absolutely spectacular. Um it's yeah, it's it's buried in a made for TV film that most people have never heard of, but I but it suits this movie. I don't I don't feel like it was it wasn't the wrong call to give these characters these lines because I mean at the end of the day, I mean Lisa says to Amber's ghost I mean, you know what? I'm going to tell you. Go to hell. Go to hell. You'll have fun. There's so many people there just like you. Like, There's just so many good lines in this movie. I'm talking more language about, you know, more in... I don't want to call it vulgar. See, here's the thing. I'm sort of in this interesting uh, in-between right now because the lines are not vulgar compared to any of the other films that we've discussed. But... Seeing as we are a family-friendly podcast, I'm not sure that I'm necessarily going to repeat. Okay, I'll, I'll use one line. I'll use one line. There's a lot of PG-13 in this movie, and they are certainly not afraid to attack the coming-of-age thing. Right. But when Amber's ex-boyfriend is at the memorial service, which is great because nobody cares about her, and it's a very eye-opening moment for her. 
and he's talking to his boys and he goes, I can't believe this happened on prom night. And she's like, oh, he feels so bad for me. And he goes, this was finally my chance. She was going to let me do her. And I kind of took a step back and said, in a Disney movie? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's the thing. Like, I would say if you're a parent that's on the fence about letting your kid watch this, it's PG-13. If your kids can watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they can watch this. But it, for a, for what is, for all intents and purposes, a borderline decom, it, this is language I expect to hear out of Can't Hardly Wait. And that's where I kind of felt like, oh, this is this is really towing a line here that I haven't seen in one of these straight-to-television Disney films before. See, I have no problem with them really going for it with the language. My my thing is believability. I believe that from a high school boy. Yeah, of course. Um, it's it's more about the highbrow lines where. Like I said, the vacuous shrew thing. To me, Lisa has done nothing to prove that she's the brainiac. She separates herself. I, I wouldn't even say that she's an outcast necessarily. She's invisible and she wants to be. Like, for example, when we go to um, her next scene where they're, they're working on another pig film. Mm-hmm. She's not the director. Right. Which is fine because, you know, it's the four of them. They're friends. They're just making movies but insufferable colin is the director that's exactly self-righteous colin he has got such an ego they make the joke that he thinks he's tarantino and i can this is where it gets a little blurred for me is because that's the type of person that i went to college with so i feel like in high school to have that kind of an ego and to have that, but I guess that's like a coping mechanism for him. It's like one day I'm going to be famous. So none of this, none of you are going to matter to me. Um, But what I don't get is why he treats Lisa and Selena the way that he does. And that's where I'm saying I'd buy her more if she was the director, because she wants to do well. She wants to get into Juilliard. Like, why are you letting this kid talk to you like that? When, especially because this is supposed to be your safe space. These are your best friends there should be more camaraderie in these scenes. I feel like it's yeah. I, I don't like her friends at all. Um, Oh, I like Selena and Raj. Eh, Selena's all right. Raj, Raj, I like, but Colin, I don't understand why any of them are friends with Colin. He could have gotten electrocuted and, and I I'd wouldn't have been just care. as fine with it. So here's my thing with Lisa saying the line that you've repeated a few times and saying, I don't know what gives her the chops. I mean, she's trying to get into Juilliard. I don't need a bunch of scenes of her doing her homework or coming home with a stack of textbooks to know that she's highly intelligent. Right. No, and I'm we we didn't necessarily need to see that. She didn't have to be a brainiac. She didn't have to be like your stereotypical nerd. But I just feel like I don't have enough reasons to care about her. Other than that she was just zeroed in on to be... Because she's not even the ugly duckling. She no. says she is, but she's she's cute. I don't buy that either. My issue is more that when she starts to get a taste of the popularity and starts stepping on the people that care about her and, and stepping on her real friends, I feel like 
there's almost no lesson there because she's just going along with whatever. Like she's going along with Colin's film. She's going along with the music that he wants. She's going along with everything that Amber says. I have no, there, there's no fall from grace from her because she didn't do anything to separate herself when she started absorbing Amber's personality and started liking the popularity. They didn't make her old life seem that bad. Here's what I don't understand. And, and to circle back around to me saying, I don't really like her friends. I can understand. I mean, look, we all had that friend in high school or even in junior high school, somewhere in adolescence where you had your circle of friends and one of them gets hot or one of them becomes an athlete and somehow some way that person who you skinned your knees with at age six is out of your social circle and there were a lot of times they did forget about you and you'd be spiteful about it I get that yeah Lisa took the bait but where I think your what you're saying has validity though because it's the four of them. Uh, I got kind of get the feeling that they're friends because of this pig show. I don't. I don't feel like their friendship stems any further than making these YouTube videos, right? And honestly, I think maybe because Lisa only had, or uh, she only had one week to become the prom queen to keep Amber from going to hell. It's one day that she all of a sudden comes in with her hair done. She's got her extensions. Her clothing is, is a little tighter, and she's starting to get the attention. And yes, she, misses, she brought all of the things in the Make Me Pretty montage. And she misses one film shoot, mm-hmm. and she promises to make it up to them, and they immediately write her off. Like, like their, their reaction to her missing one thing Seems like it was a jump. It seems like it kind of came from nowhere. And I think if the film has a big failure, that's what the failure is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm sitting here watching this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, geez, I don't feel bad for your friends. Because I think ultimately, you f- Amber died, but she can't come back. You hope she gets to heaven. You know Lisa's going to learn her lesson. So, you know, this is very formulaic. But ultimately, I am supposed to feel bad for your group of friends that you have since ostracized. Because you're supposed to be our lovable lead that's a protagonist. Become a borderline antagonist who self-absorbed and turned her back on everybody for popularity. And you burned your friends and you're supposed to feel bad for the friends because we're supposed to want you to learn your lesson. I don't feel like she had to learn a lesson here because I don't think that what she did was all that bad. Right. Because the worst thing that she did was when they threw off Carlita's party, they sent everybody to the house on the wrong night and then Lisa threw one instead and she did it under 
Raj's computer login. Not knowing it was his. Right. Where I think that's where the movie does sort of take a little bit of liberty and they're trying to reach for something that didn't necessarily need to happen to really twist that knife in as far as her group of friends. But I want to circle back to what you said first. Mm -hmm. This does all sort of tie together with the subplot with her friends. I think the issue is that I don't believe that her and Selena are really close with Raj and Colin. I don't think anybody's close to Colin. I think that's by design because that's what Colin wants. But um, there are a few lines of dialogue where they do try to cover it up and allude to the fact that Selena and uh, Lisa have been friends for a really long time. Like they talk about uh, Selena's almost first kiss and, and they were talking about their childhood. So I believe them, especially because what this film does different is that you had said her friends write her off the first time she changes her clothes the boys do selena doesn't selena is right on the trail almost immediately because she knows that that's not in lisa's character and she's she sees these as warning signs not oh you changed and i'm not good enough for you anymore and that's where this sort of breaks the mold and breaks the stereotypes because she's trying to help her friend with whatever crisis she's going through she knows this is bad um so I can definitely appreciate that they did that. You also use the phrase lovable protagonist. And I think that that's very important because that is what I'm bumping on right now. I don't find her lovable. I, I find her relatable at best. We're supposed to have her big performance. That's like her moment at the party is that Amber's been helping her. Amber has the ability to jump in and out of her body. Amber's been boosting her confidence. And it's like, all right training wheels are off you're on your own and she's on the stage and she's singing this song and she's nervous at first when amber finally leaves her and she realizes okay i really have to do this on my own now but lisa doesn't actually win me over in that moment amber does when amber realizes that lisa's got this and she can jump out she's like i want to watch you perform i want to enjoy this and they do such a good job of putting Amber in that crowd, dancing and enjoying herself. I, She turns into the protagonist for me here because I really feel sorry for her that her life was cut short. Because now here's this girl who had a dose of humble pie. And now you start thinking more about she she's going to miss out on this high school experience. And like this is the fun part. This isn't her chasing the crown anymore this isn't the experience that a small percentage of high school age children live through if they're popular this is sort of like a rite of passage moment where she's just kind of standing there hanging out with her friends and listening to some music and this is when you start to feel sorry for her because she's not going to have that anymore so there's a lot to dissect here first I want to circle back around because I, I have a lot to add to what you said because I actually... It's a big scene. It's a big scene, and I'm going to just tease this right now. I actually, in, in a big way, disagree with something that you just said, but I'm going to put pin in that for a second. Um, so let's, let's dial back. Carlita, okay? She was one of Amber's girls. The Gretchen Wieners to Regina George. So they're having a makeup prom 
so that the kids can have a nice experience where one of their classmates doesn't kick it. And they have a makeup prom and, well, I'll go ahead and spoil the ending. It was basically a waste of time because Carlita dies too. Uh, gets electrocuted again. <laughs> and it's just as satisfying the second time as it was. And it's just like Beetlejuice. It gets funnier and funnier every single time I see it. <laughs> um, so she she wants to be prom queen. So now now you gotta you gotta like bump the odds up a little bit and you, you gotta ante up a little bit more and, and you gotta have the cards stacked against you. So having Carlita do it makes sense it works because she's amber on steroids amber's just you know she's very much a vain person but she's doing it for her mother's affection carlita's just doing it because carlita's a mean girl and now nothing amber is standing in her way so that makes sense i think what they do here that is just so smart is how they have great throwaway lines and how they cover their tracks so well to Mm -hmm. set all of this up Mm mm-hmm Now, when they send the email out, because Carlita says, I'm going to throw a party to get the popular vote. The night before prom, that way everybody's still talking about it at prom, and then, yeah, they'll vote for me. So now Amber and Lisa go into the, I guess it's the library where Raj is logged in. They just find a computer that's logged in. They don't know who it was. And they send an email out to the entire student body saying, we moved the party up to tonight, so come on out. And then they see um, they see Carlita with a strip on her nose, facial cream on, she's in her bathrobe, they take pictures, it goes viral. It that also dates this movie already because TikTok people are doing all these makeup tutorials and look at my skincare routine now. Nobody cares that you have a pore strip on. So the... They do that and then immediately blast out another text or email saying, okay, we have a new party, and they they bring it to Lisa's house. Now, what I love here is that when they send the email... Is it an email or text? That is really bothering me. It's How an email. do they have access to all these children's phones? It's an email. I mean, you could get email on a smartphone in 2011. That wasn't a novel concept. Right. Or it does sometimes bump to text. So if you have an, it's an email, right, fine, it's an email. So because Amber says they can't trace the email back to you, we're going to send it from this. So it's a good throwaway line. It's like, all right, so you did. Th- this is why you did this intentionally. You did it so it couldn't be traced back to you. Therefore, you can't take the fall. It's and more quick- in the context of we hope Carlita doesn't find out who sabotaged her. Bingo. Because you could just as easily say, oh, this one's logged on. Come on, let's send the email. And right. it's like, well, didn't it go from your email address? The fact that they thought to throw that in there, I think that works. Now, the fact that uh, Raj takes the fall for it and it would have added a layer of drama if she would have said, but wait a minute, this is, you know, like when you log on to a computer, it says sometimes it says your name, like on the bottom corner, it's right. a username. It would have bumped the drama up a little bit and gave it another layer. If she went, wait a minute, this is Raj. And it was, come on, we're out of time. Just do it. And she sends it anyway, knowing she's going to set him up. She doesn't know who she's setting up. It just happens to be one of her friends. So by happenstance, you get somebody who you cared about in trouble that I felt was a little watered down. I would have rather she known who it was she was really setting up. Really twist that knife. Because then I think it adds validity to her friends being angry at her. 
if she if she knows it, if she knows what she's doing and not just acting blindly, it makes her friends more of a sympathetic party. Just nothing that they do makes her friends. I don't feel bad for them at any which way possible. And that's what I'm saying. And you, you really did pinpoint it here is that she didn't go for the, okay, I know it's my friend, but I'm going to do it anyway. She didn't take ownership. She is just being led along. Right. And then I wonder how is she throwing this party when her parents are around and she goes, Oh, well, you know, my parents got a free spa weekend. Clearly this is something that, Amber was able to set up because she's got these ghostly powers. But I said, I love that they keep covering their tracks here. They do. And I have said on, I mean, now we are 134 episodes in, so we've done 134 movies. How many times I sit here and say, a throwaway line would clean up this entire mess. They do it twice in the course of maybe four minutes here. And it, I, it's done so tactfully where it does clean up the mess so it doesn't it doesn't throw me off it doesn't make me feel like this could not possibly happen they just do it so tactfully and it's so smart no, they're legitimate reasons too it's not like they're just doing like a literal throwaway line where it doesn't relate to anything or they're doing it solely for the purpose of cover up it all does work together now i want to talk about this scene with the band now, Carlita has sent two of her friends in, as they call, we're intelligence. It's your intel, but okay, your intelligence. Um, to spy on Lisa, because Lisa's the competition for prom queen. And Nick, who is the, the guy that Lisa's been pining over the whole time. It's, the football guy. Yeah, it's kind of been her secret crush. He's sort of dating Carlita, sort of playing the field. He shows up at the party. That's also a great throwaway line, too, is how Carlita ended up with Nick because yes, she didn't take Amber's boyfriend and they go so far. Another great throwaway line. I don't want her scraps. I don't want people to think I'm just chasing after her. So she went with Nick. Right. So you have... usually that's all one in the same guy. And that's yeah. where they do it differently, too. It's it's two different ones. So you have this great band scene where Amber enters Lisa now, I love when they do this because it happens throughout the film. I think that the acting is great. I think it's funny. I think it's great physical comedy. Same. Um, so I love when they do this. And Lisa is not on her own going to go and perform, even though we know she's got a great voice and she writes her own music. So it's Amber that takes possession of her and goes up and starts performing. And as you pointed out, she exits her body to watch her perform. And you think, well, this is where I start to feel bad for Amber because this is where her life is cut short. Where I disagree with you, while, yeah, I, I feel sympathy for Amber, this is the first time you see Lisa have fun. This is the first time you see Lisa come out of her shell. When Amber exits her body... Because everything that's happened, the first time she walks through the halls in the high school, that's because Amber's making her do it. When she goes and gets her hair done, it's because Amber made her do it. When she goes shopping and gets her new, you know, outfits, it's because Amber made her do it. Amber put her on the stage, but Amber didn't finish the performance. And you see Lisa, for the first time, really start to break loose and be 
Lisa. See, I don't get that at all because she's doing it all for the attention of a boy. And again, it's it's about taking ownership. She should have in the moment realized like this is my chance to prove, you know, I want to go to Juilliard. This is my chance to prove why to all these kids who ignore me that I'm going to make something of myself. And it, it that it doesn't read that to me at all. I think it starts off that way, but I think that when she when she jumps up on that drum set and she throws her hand in the air and she is just rocking out and she has her eyes shut and she's just really getting into that she's song. She's in the moment. Exactly. Nick is no longer her focus. Just getting down with this music and, and performing in this band and doing what, what it is you really want to do. Because going back to that scene with Insufferable Colin... She's writing music for this barnyard scene. And she, for all intents and purposes, saves one of the scenes in the video. And, and he's like, yeah, all right, good job. But really, he takes ownership of that video. This is the first time that something that she created is uniquely hers for everybody to see. But it gets watered down immediately. And maybe I'm having more of an issue with this than I even realized because of Nick. As soon as she gets off the stage, she goes over to him and, and Amber's still kind of there, but she's like letting her go. Um, and she's like, did I surprise you? It should have been more about that self-discovery and, and Lisa's empowerment and her surprising herself. And it, it completely retracts into that stereotypical high school movie because this was all about a boy. But I think that Lisa's awkwardness throughout this entire film is authentic. I don't feel like it, it comes off as forced or phony. No, it is. But what I'm saying is that she should be better than this. She should want more for herself. And that's where I don't really like her 100%. So she should. But this is where she starts to, with Nick specifically, not when she's on stage with the band. When she's with Nick specifically, and in the ensuing scenes, this is where she starts to become a little bit more like Amber to the point that Amber even realizes I've made a mistake and I've sort of created a monster. It's Frankenstein, right? And that's Frankenstein's monster. That all happens after she leaves the stage. I'm talking about specifically when she's on the stage. But okay, yeah, now she's with Nick. And this is where she starts to become that amber character but and believe I, her own hype yeah but you know what i still don't feel bad for her little friend group I, and and i'll t because it's not until the next day that they point out that her friends were not at that party and i didn't even realize i didn't that. realize it Same. and guess what when we watched the movie the second time the next day i, I still didn't notice. i still didn't notice it that's how to, i'm sorry but that's how insignificant they are to me now, maybe that is a fault of the screenwriting, but I think the writing everywhere else, for the most part, is so good. It's To me, it's sort of passable. Because I, I just feel like Lisa is in such a shell and in such a bubble because I think Colin wants her to be a certain way. Sorry, but I think, I think Selena comes off as catty more than anything else. I think Selena wants her to be a certain way. I think She's clingy. It's like, be a nerd with me. Stay in this little yeah. sheltered bubble she, she that we have. She doesn't want her to do her hair. She doesn't want her to dress differently. She doesn't want her to get a boyfriend. She wants her to be the same person she was when she was 10. And I can tell you that I've got friends that are in that circle or 
actually, let me dial back. I had friends that were in that circle that wanted the same way. Like, eventually, you got to start growing up a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think that's where this scene works. I think she starts to, yeah, be, she starts to emulate Amber a little bit with Nick. But in every other instance, everything else that she's doing, I feel like she's starting to do things for Lisa. So I, I other than Raj, I, I just can't feel bad for any of them. And see, here is where I should start feeling bad for her because she is throwing her life away. Um, but she just hasn't done anything. Like, I, I get what you're saying. This is where she does start to take ownership She do, in the performance. And now she starts believing her own hype. But it's not because she's confident. It's because she has attention. And that's what stops her, I think, from being likable for me. Where I care that she's destroying everything. Mm. All right, so now we get towards the end of the film. Amber realizes that she has created that Frankenstein monster. She drives Lisa out to the middle of nowhere, far enough out where she can't get back to the prom on time. I wasn't expecting that at all. I love it. I didn't see it coming. No. But I love that Amber gives up the opportunity to spend or gives up the opportunity to spend an eternity in heaven, she'd rather go to hell than sabotage somebody who, in her eyes, didn't deserve to be sabotaged. I think this is just so brilliant, and it's so different, and it's so unique, and I I love that this is the turn that they took. And this is where I'm saying Amber becomes the protagonist. Her story arc is so much stronger than Lisa's. It is, but I also think it's because, I mean, look, Lisa gets her comeuppance, right? She realizes that what she did was wrong and she doesn't need the hot football player and she just wants her friends. And she realizes that at the end of the day, she became popular. She called everybody she could, all of her popular friends, and none of them would come pick her up to get her to the prom. But who were the people that were there to pick you up? Well, it was the friends that you had in the beginning. We've seen this a million times. So I it, I don't feel like I I'm not sympathetic towards her because she's a dislikable character. I think we've just seen it too many times. This twist with Amber is so different and so unique though that I feel like it becomes more likable because it's so different. Right. And usually with these movies like even thinking back to she's all that or um 10 things I hate about you. Like the popular person does get their comeuppance They're Usually it's in, in the way that they're publicly humiliated and then they just sort of go away here. That doesn't ham- happen to Amber at all. Obviously, you know, she's gone. Lisa's the only one that can see her, but it's very rare and so different that you see her take ownership of that herself. And they keep going one step further. Not only does she decide that Lisa's life is more important than hers and that, you know, she she recognizes that I had my chance. I screw it up. I screwed it up. And now I'm going to go and accept my fate. And part of that is because we do get that peek behind the curtain. She goes to see her family grieving her. But 
they just keep going with it because then you see her on the bus to hell. I love the Hell Express. I was not expecting that at all. I love that it's populated with like real people. Like you get the hardened criminal, but then there's that woman in the business suit and she's like, I I sold high risk mortgages to homeless people so that I could evict them and make them homeless again. And then there's an elderly couple and I was like, what are you doing here? Please give me more of this. We don't know what they did. So there's some mystery there. But the whole thing is funny. It's tongue in cheek. I love the the look of it. Now we get to the makeup prom. This is where, other than having no sympathy for her friends group, I think this is probably the other thing that I really did not like in this film. Lisa fesses up that she sent the email. So now she is disqualified because she's immediately suspended by the principal. This is just like Mean Girls, this whole scene. So she's now disqualified from being prom queen, which means Carlita by default has to win because she's the only person in the running. Which is fine because Carlita's ending is great. So if that's how we get her there, I'll buy that. But Lisa gets up on stage and takes the microphone. And if it were my high school... She would have been heckled. I'm sorry. Oh, but my God. Yeah. She grabs the microphone and does this. Forget about the hierarchy. Let's all be cool, guys. I, I get it. I understand they had to give her a character arc. But it's just too cheesy. For, for a film that ha- has really done a good job with the high school stereotypes and with the high school hierarchy and with, you know, listen, we're not, it's not all high school musical, right? And I know that that's aimed at a very, very different demographic and a much younger demographic, but the underage drinking, the parties, the sleeping around, you know, like these were things that we all heard about and knew about in high school. And a lot of people partook in all of those things. Some people did more, but like, It was a true high school experience, and I thought, wow, Disney's actually really kind of going for it here. And then you have this ending where she gets up and has this we're all cool nonsense, and they all start chanting Raj's name, and then they all dance. It's like Footloose. Let's party! And they just dance poorly, and that's kind of how the movie starts to that's the climax of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Amber gets her wings and Carly or Carlita gets electrocuted. So it's funny because it's going to happen again to poor Tim Gunn. But I just felt like it was a really weak, cheesy end to what otherwise had been a really different movie. I love that you said to poor Tim Gunn because of all the people that I thought I was going to feel sorry for at the end. He was the least likely of them. Um, no, I hear you. I mean, the the big thing is that this is ripped right from Mean Girls. But the difference that that Mean Girls made and where, of course, they do it better is that Katie was also on the mathletes and she chose to go to the competition and win with her team instead of going to prom. Or that was part of, I haven't watched Mean Girls in a minute and I should know this, but that might've also been part of her, her penance for what she did that she couldn't go to prom. I can't really remember, but anyway, case in point, she gets to the stage, she makes her speech, she breaks up the crown and gives it to everybody. But it's, that's also a very different movie because that was about 
the female experience of high school and how you bully each other based on the way you look and your bodies and and not just the stereotypes of what group you're hanging out with. Like right. mean, mean Girls went for the jugular. And it's a brilliant movie. It is. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not hating on it at all whatsoever. But The Breaking of the Crown was more about I put this girl down personally. It was personal. I, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I want to make it up to you. This was more, I think, what you're talking about with Lisa's character arc. This was much more of a blanket statement about let's all live in the spotlight for a moment. And you would have been heckled off the stage in any high school. You wouldn't have had yeah. this like rousing, yeah, let's do it, everybody. Like, this is where to me, you go from those movies that we've talked about. I'm not going to list them again because we've gone over it so many times. It's repetitive. All of those high school hierarchy archetype films from the 90s, from the early 2000s. You go from that and doing your own version of it and doing it quite well, I think, to having like this high school musical ending. So it, it feels like, I'll put it, you know what this feels like? This feels like they had a different ending. They screamed it to Disney executives hmm. who said, no, this ha- make this more like High School Musical. This The ending doesn't feel... The, the heart is there, but the way the movie ends doesn't feel like it belongs in this. It feels like it didn't do well in a test screening and they, re- and they reshot the end of the movie. That's an interesting take on it. Because you're right. Like, Nick never really gets his comeuppance. Like... Not that he really needed one, but I feel like that should have maybe played into Lisa's newfound confidence. But instead, it's like, yeah, let's just all be popular. Let's all get to know each other. I do buy that as far as reality because I feel like probably the last semester of senior year, everybody sort of got nicer to each other. Because they realized they were never going to see each other again. And nobody cared. Exactly. That was my experience. Um, here, yeah, she she doesn't say anything groundbreaking or innovative. And then, again, it's watered down because of a boy. Because, and, and I guess you could make the argument, and this is where like the Disney fairy tale sort of comes into play, because it was the first guy who saw her new look. The starter guy. Exactly. As Amber called him. And um, he chased her down to pursue her. He knew he, she was going to prom. He went to seven proms to go and find her. And you could make the argument that, like, yes, she caught his attention because of how she looked, but he didn't know a thing about her. And he was still interested versus Nick, who all of a sudden was interested because she got popular mm-hmm. and because she looked the part. Um, but I, I just feel like, Okay, so she got the guy. She's having fun. She's dancing with him. I feel like it would have been more of a character arc if maybe she kissed Raj. I mean, she gave him the title. And and I do like the part of, you know, the point that they made of saying um, when they all said, who is Raj? She's like, let's make sure that we're never saying that again. And And I think that that's a good message to take away is that instead of being scared of your peers in high school or feeling like you don't fit in. Like this is really your first network, you know, like these are all 
people that you hope one day are, are going to be working professionals. Like, you know, this is where you start sort of building those formative relationships and you should branch out other than your friend groups. Mm. But anyway, and I, I really can't believe that we've rambled on for over an hour <laughs> about this movie. I mean, I know we have a lot of news coming up, and I really thought that that was what was going to put us for an hour for the week, not Apparently the actual not. review itself. Um, no, but it it is interesting because there are a lot of things that this movie did well. There's some that's not so great, and, and I really do appreciate how they've broken out of the stereotype. But just to wrap up the point that I was trying to make... I just don't feel like Lisa had the full arc. And I agree with you. There's just something off about that last speech that would have really brought her full circle. Um, and like I said, yes, she does give the title to Raj, but I just feel like that moment gets watered around, watered down because it still becomes about a boy and not her and, and how she's going to move forward. I get actually the better moment is when Amber comes back um, because she did. She does give Lisa that one final piece of advice is be confident. And that's what's going to make all of the difference. Um, so, you know, I guess she's it, it is a fairly decent ending to, to assume that Lisa's just going to go out into the world with this newfound confidence. But I didn't need the boy to prove that. To me, you had this really nice moment where I actually feel like Amber is Lisa's best friend and now she's got to say goodbye to her. I think Amber's been a better friend than Selena. And that's where you really could have had... You could have had that heartbreaking moment where it's like you're happy, you're happy that Amber will go to heaven, but at the same time, it means that Lisa's going to lose her really her best friend because yeah I think she has been a better friend than Selena but she says you know I'll be here popping in on you I'll keep an eye on you that kind of you get that guardian angel thing going so I mean look like upon landing on this it was damn it Patrice but as I watched it this week I said well I mean yeah you you can you can draw so many comparables to so many other movies but this one's unique enough, and it's so well-paced, and it's so funny, and the dialogue is great, and I think that the leads are great together. And if I'm being honest with you, if it wasn't for Lisa's friends who I don't care enough about at all, and that horribly cheesy, we go together, you know, like, I was waiting for him to bust out it like it was Grease at the end, Grease and Footloose together. Or High School Musical. It's near perfect. Oh my god! I think I this, was not expecting. I that. honestly think I don't care what the IMDb says. I think this was a huge win on the wheel. I give Disney credit for going for it. I think it is so different from any other straight for television movie that we've seen from Disney. I think the right language, the right attitude, the right pace, the right the right network, the right demographic. I honestly was shocked with how much I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Same. Um, not about it being near perfect, but I was more than pleasantly surprised by this movie. I definitely enjoyed it. 
I give it crazy kudos for breaking the mold and doing something really different on a story that we have seen a hundred times. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out. If you're, if you're just looking for something light and fluffy, you know, it, it, I would say it is a, a feel good movie. Um, It is. It's a funny movie. It's definitely humorous. Um, The only thing for me is really just the, the main character. Although, like I said, I would argue that, Amber's the main character because this is her story, even though her life ended, it's how she redeemed herself. And, and focusing on that, I like it a lot more because I do have so many issues with Lisa. But if you looking at Lisa as the tool for Amber to get what she needs, then yeah, I think it's a much better movie because as, as far as Lisa is the main character, She's just not likable enough and her arc doesn't land hard enough. And that's what stops it from being perfect. But as far as Amber's movie goes, yeah, I I, I enjoyed this so much more than I thought it would. And it it's a really solid movie. And we want to know what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week and a contest are coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Whether you're looking for that touch of Disney in your life or perhaps you are a business owner and you need branding, print and graphic design, or perhaps media kits, Kelly has you covered. And if you are a listener of the show, you get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Go ahead and browse their website, karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We've got a lot of Disney news this week. The first one. We're both very excited for two completely different reasons. (laughs) Okay. It has not been verified by the most credible sources yet, and we don't ever talk about news like this. But quite frankly, I don't care because I'm so excited. They have announced that Disenchanted is getting James Marsden and Idina Menzel back, and I could not be happier. I am so excited to see James Marsden back because I felt that he was... Maybe he was the, your favorite part of Enchanted. Probably the best part of Enchanted. I am so excited to see that he's back. Idina Menzel, she doesn't have anything else going on right now, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's what what's it, what's impressive about that, and I do imagine that they are going to get her back, is with her star power now. That do she, you give her a song? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. But I am so excited to to see that they are starting to bring this cast back. I love Enchanted. I love it more and more every time I see it. Um, so I am excited to finally get more information on this on this sequel here. What's funny to me is that I'm seeing a lot of, wait, Idina Menzel was in Enchanted. Yes, if you call yourself a real fan, then you should know this already. But I'm thinking now 
post frozen, they're going to have to give her a little bit more meat and potatoes. And what's going to be interesting is that you've got Amy Adams, who is an Academy Award winning actress. Like, do you give the bigger parts to Idina? Are are we going to be, is this taking place in Andalasia now? Like, is this going to be centered around her marriage to the prince? Or does Giselle become your secondary character? I'm not saying that Idina is a better actress, but I think especially in the Disney canon, Idina is certainly more popular than she is. Um, They've hung a bigger hat on Idina Menzel. Fair. But let's not forget that Amy Adams was also in Muppets. So Amy Adams for Disney... Oh, I wasn't even thinking of Muppets. And that is really recent. Yeah, Disney, they're not afraid to hang a hat on Amy Adams either. And I don't think, you know, because I know them personally so well, I don't think either of them have an ego where they necessarily care who's got the bigger star. I honestly think, I think they're kind of going to split it. it I'm it, wondering how on earth Disney's going to afford this. For me, of all, I mean, James Marsden was a secondary character in the first film. He'll serve to be one here. I'm interested to see what happens with Patrick Dempsey because he's not that he is not necessarily the household name that he was when the first film came out. Not anymore. Right. How many times has he died on Grey's Anatomy at this point? He's been shot. He's been stabbed. It, like all like listening to his list of near fatalities is like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, where he just talks about all the different ways he tried to die and he couldn't. I actually tapped out of Grey's when Christina left just because I. I couldn't get down with these storylines anymore it's out it's like what can we do that's even dumber than the last it's time? becoming a soap opera um all right so we got that news we also got news that disney channel is moving forward with zombies 3 with meg donnelly and milo Mannheim. uh they are going to be reprising their roles we actually saw meg donnelly perform at it wasn't the walt disney world christmas parade but we saw her perform it was like a holiday kickoff special special. yeah and it was on the disney channel i think they used it in the parade too i think she did both i I think they repurposed i I just remember she looked like she was wearing gold tinfoil and then she had like a bedazzled microphone can't even imagine how hot she must have been that day i can tell you it was that that thing warm. just had to absorb the heat. Uh, no, but she's she's cute. We haven't seen zombies yet, but um, that is something we want to do eventually. And and I enjoyed her performance, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Luca was set to be released in theaters on June 18th. Now exclusively coming to Disney Plus. Cruella and Black Widow are still going to have a side by side where you can see it in theaters or pay a premium for Disney Plus. But how do you feel about this one? Um, I'm, I'm confused, right? I, I don't understand. I, well, no, I, I can understand why we are highly critical of the fact that they are doing these premium purchases on Disney plus, which was the thing they swore they'd never do. Um, I'm wondering if they didn't want to do it four times this year between Raya and Cruella and Black Widow and now this. 
because ultimately I'd like to believe that we live in a world where movie theaters don't die. Disney needs to have those relationships um, because they the big movie chains are not afraid to cut off relationships with um, studios that don't want to do side by sides or when they do release big films directly to a streaming service. Um, so I suppose they need to maintain their relationships. And I'm thinking once we get to a point in time where we are post pandemic, I wonder if Disney will continue to do this or not. I suppose they will. Um, that's the only reason why I can assume that they did this so that they could sit there and say, well, folks, wait a minute. We're not making you pay for everything. I would have been just as happy to pay to go see this in a movie theater. I think that the movie is going to, I mean, based on what we've seen in trailers, it looks so beautifully animated that I don't, I don't really want to watch this on my television. If I'm being honest with you, I want to go to a movie theater to see it. Yeah, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think this is a case of Disney giveth and Disney taketh away. Uh, and I, I agree. I feel like if they are going to bang you for a, a premium payment yeah. for Black Widow and Cruella, this is their way of trying to soften that blow. But I feel like that's a knock at Luca. Like you said, I wanted to see this on a big screen. And I kind of feel like... It, it's sort of a stinger to be like, here, this is the one that you're going to get for free because they did do that with Soul, but that was also different because that was a Christmas Day release. And for those who couldn't celebrate with their families last year, that was a nice thing to do to be able to have that film. And we were still very much in a in a world of confusion. Now, and things are a lot clearer. To be fair, onward, you know, that had a th theatrical run for a week and then they just put it on the streamer when everybody was in lockdown. And that's great. So here's the thing. I, I feel like I would not read so much into this if Luca they knew was going to be a very, very popular movie and they were using it to incentivize you to subscribe to the streaming service. And they were using it as like sort of a linchpin to, to get people on board. And they kind of did that with Onward. And at the same time, Frozen 2 got released early on the streamer because it wasn't supposed to be there at the early, at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. But now you've got The Mandalorian, you've got WandaVision. Those are your big, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Those are your big sellers to subscribe. And you've also exceeded, far exceeded, the amount of subscriptions you thought you were going to have You've by now. You've exceeded your five-year number. So that's where I kind of feel like they're just like, here, have this. But we're still going to charge you for premium. And that that's where I feel like this is sort of a kind of a double-edged sword that they're giving I us here. I wonder if it bombed. Like in test screenings, if it bombed. That's what I'm saying. Like, it... I feel like they're just... they're They're not being generous about it. That they're... They're not using it as a marketing device. It's kind of, it's, it's like a pity movie, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, because with Soul, it was, hey, we're giving this to you on Christmas, as you pointed out. With Onward, it was, you know what, folks? We're all inside. We can't go to the movie theaters. Here, have Onward for free. Here, have Frozen 2 early. Right. And even with Soul, I feel like that was better marketed. It was marketed a lot more where it could be the incentive that you survive here you want to give your family disney plus for christmas well we're going to give yeah. you this movie for free what is what is this 
giving up. Like, it's the end of school. Here you go. No. It, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a head scratcher. I'm thinking it's just because they get blowback every time they do this with, give us more money. Give the mouse more money. Um, if they had, I'll put it to you this way. I would not read a thing into this if they were doing it with Cruella or Black Widow. Then I would be like, all right, they're looking for subscriptions. Yeah, because I think those are, they're higher profile films. Sure. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. I, I think it's just their way of saying, here, have one. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, if they announced, we'll do it for free, but we're going to do a limited theatrical run, I'd go to a movie theater and watch it. For sure. I wouldn't watch it on my television first. Right. So, yeah, it's a head-scratcher. They also announced that Disney Plus has signed on for 10 episodes of National Treasure, told from uh, the point of view of a 20-year-old Nicolas Cage. And Jerry Bruckheimer is still producing it. I mean, look, they've talked about this for long enough. We know things are starting to go back into production. National Treasure is a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I can get down with this. Here's my theory. I'm, I'm going way out on a limb here. Um, I mean, I love both National Treasure movies and it is no secret that I do not like Nicolas Cage, but I think those movies are wonderful. Um, so I'm happy to see more of that. I feel like it's an interesting choice, though, that we're going to do this as a prequel and we're going to see the moments in between with Ben's story. That is his name, right? I think so. Yes. yes. I almost said Stanley Goodspeed, and then I was like, no. <laughs> different movie. No, way no, different movie. No, we talked movie. about Sean Connery last week and what winners do to the prom queen. <laughs> it didn't happen in Teen Spirit, by the way. Um, but my theory is that since they're not doing a sequel, they're not continuing on with Nicolas Cage, and I, I hope I'm right here, is that maybe this is where we're going to start putting this see thing together and maybe this translates over into the adventures club and what they're doing with jungle mm -hmm. cruise and and the hangar bar and if if that's the world we're gonna live in i am so here for it i think that is a way of getting c involved i think it's a way of also giving us content because we know we want they want to give us like a hundred titles a year on the streamer service every single year i also wonder if this is them testing the viability testing the viability and testing the interest in doing a third national treasure film it's it, rather than go and invest the money into national treasure three especially because i am a i get in the cage i am not afraid of stepping foot <laughs> in that cage <laughs> But Nicolas Cage is really off the rails sometimes. I'm just wondering if they want to test this before they go and get themselves invested in a $200 million film. Do people care about this franchise anymore? Do keep people care about this story anymore? I, I kind of feel like that's maybe a part of it. They'll never come out and say that. But I'm wondering if that's a part of it, too, because all we've heard about is National Treasure 3. It's coming. We've been hearing this for 10 years and never a step in the right direction. Right. And now this comes out. I'm sort of just reading through the tea leaves here is I think uh, I think there's some accuracy. But we'll see. Also, it sounds like Disneyland is getting an expansion. Now, the city of Anaheim is behind it. They should be. Um, what 
the hell else do you go to Anaheim for if not Disneyland? Not to go to the not to go to Arrowhead and see the Ducks play. Um, not to go and go to Denny's or stay at one of the motels. So of course they're going to get behind it. That would be like if Orlando one day said, "You know what? We don't need Disney. <laughs> you know, you have nothing else." Um, there's a lot of rumors, none of which have been confirmed by reliable sources. So I don't want to get into it too much. But I will say that it's encouraging that in spite of what the last year has brought specifically to Disneyland, that Disney is finding the means to expand and to offer more at that property. And I think that that is a very positive sign of things to come for Disney in the near and yet also distant future. I agree. I'm very happy that the West Coast has their park back, that they're going to be able to start going again, that they're getting more. Here's what bothers me. This is probably an unpopular opinion. They, I mean, they have Disney themselves has not even really confirmed this. This is picking up a lot of traction, though, this story. Um, they haven't said when this is happening. And what I'm really hoping for is that they take their time and they're smart about it. Because what I don't want to lose sight of is obviously Disney had to do a massive pivot. And everything that they announced at the last Disney 23 Expo, if the ground wasn't broken on it, it's either been postponed or it's not happening at all. You know, they got Ratatouille in. We know that's opening up at the end of the year. Uh, we know that Epcot is underway as far as retheming the entrance and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and, and getting the ride in. And God knows when that's going to come out because Tron's been under construction for how long, but we don't even have a release date for that. But anyway, um, you know, there's with Galaxy's Edge, there was a lot that we were supposed to get, but didn't because of budget cuts. And now you've got Galaxy's Edge, you've still got Star Tours, you've still got the Star Wars launch bay. So it's like you have that immersive experience and you still have these other rides that are outside of Galaxy's Edge, which sort of takes away from the immersive experience. And I feel like there's a lot that could be done with those two areas that you should be focusing on first. But hey, that's just me. But what I do feel like regardless is that you budget cut certain things and now you're announcing this. Like, can we just please finish one thing before we move on to the next? I feel like Chapik is like a five-year-old that's unloading his toy box and he's, he's going to build half a Lego castle and then move on to go play with his Hot Wheels. And he's not done playing with the first toy first. And it's like, can, can, who's watching him? Iger for now. Um, here's the thing. It's very ambiguous. When they say Disneyland is expanding, I don't think this is happening tomorrow. I think, listen, I've, I don't shy away from placing a wager. So I am a betting man. I bet this is a pivot to Disneyland 70. Ooh. Now, we had Disneyland 60 just a few years ago. 
And unfortunately, Walt Disney World 50 is not going to be what they wanted it to be. It's just not. It's just not going to happen the way that they wanted it to be, the way that they planned for it to be. No, and this year and a half celebration, okay, fine, but it's still not going to be everything. But at the end of the day, while Walt Disney World is certainly the breadwinner of the family, Disneyland is Walt Disney. He built it. He walked it. It was his. It's the only property that truly is uniquely his. Mm -hmm. So... They could just as easily pivot and say, Walt Disney World, we lost. We lost that anniversary. But we can really do something special with the 70th anniversary of the one that really did start it all. Right. So they could be gauging interest to file permits to break ground two years from now. Because, listen, Disney... When they announce a park is coming or an expansion, we'll see in six years. It's not universal. It's not Six Flags where they announce something and you're there 18 months later. That's just not how Disney operates. So I don't think that this is anything that's happening anytime soon. No, and it could be. I mean, we don't even know where it's happening. We don't know if it's happening in Disneyland proper or if it's going to be at DCA. It could be that they figured out a way to cram more into the Avengers campus, and maybe they are going to sink money into that because WandaVision's very hot right now, and you can do more with Marvel on the West Coast than you can in Orlando. Right. And, and I get that. I do. But... I just feel like there's a lot that you put out there and we all understand that you had to pivot, but I just feel like they should maybe be more forthcoming about what on earth is going on with the plans for Epcot and, and all of those changes. You know, you have a, you you have a giant piece of metal sitting in the middle of the lagoon right now that was supposed to be back and forth to the Marina. It wasn't supposed to stay there every day. It was only supposed to come out for showtime, but th- I'm just saying there, there's a lot I think that needs to be addressed before you go sink money into something else. All right. So with all of that being said, what we can tell you, because we don't have everything under lock and key so much as Disney does, is that it's roulette, which means it's time for a giveaway. And I am so excited. We are running a contest for the next week. The winner will receive a Monoreal Radio t-shirt as well as a straw charm from our dear friends over at the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. So. This straw charm is going to be, it's real cute. We're going to post a picture on social media. It is a Mickey balloon. And we wanted to pick that one for the opening of Disneyland next month. So. Here's what you have to do to enter to win. Leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. Now, a lot of you out there are loyal listeners who have been with us for such a long time. You've already gone and done that. So we'll give you an opportunity to still enter this contest because some people left us a rating or a review a year ago or two years ago. If you did that, Go ahead and leave us a rating or a review on Facebook. Rate us on Facebook. Or a different platform. Whatever the platform is. 
just rate us there. Screen grab it and tag us on your social media so we see that you did it and you're entered to win. And that way we can get everybody involved. And you will have until Monday, April 5th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to get your entry in. And we will announce the winner of that prize pack on the show that will be released on Tuesday, April 6th. That'll be the episode that we release the day after the contest ends. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. Email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. And for links to all of the podcasts on the social media, or the social media, I should say, the email, everything. Just The home for Monorail Radio is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.